Jerome Powell's uh, uh, attempted imitation of Paul Volcker has fallen considerably short. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And once again, it is that time of the week where we check in with Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin to discuss any matters relating particularly to the physical level of the silver market. Although, again, we did have some interesting Federal Reserve developments last week that we'll be looking forward to getting Andy's take on. So hope everyone is having a great day out there. And Andy, I hope you're having a great day as well. And appreciate you joining me as always. And most important question when we get started, how are you today? I'm good, brother. I'm good. It's good to be back. It's crazy. The year's almost over and uh, it's been a good year to chatting with you and I'm and, uh, always happy to come back and almost put ready to put a bow on 2023. So uh, hope you're doing well as well. Well, I am, and uh, something that might have seemed shocking even uh, about a week or two ago is that looking at the silver chart, well, I guess as we're recording this, we're slightly below the starting point, about 30, 20 cents under where we began the year, yet silver close to flat on the year, gold up on the year, and obviously one of the big drivers of that was last week's Fed meeting and press conference where Jerome said might not be done with the rate hikes, but I think by the time they penciled in that third rate cut in in the summary of economic projections for being possible next year, it, it seemed like that might well be the turning point. Perhaps you could even say maybe five or 10 years from now, that could be a real significant turning point because it seems like things really shifted and the market now is locked into expecting those cuts, which again, not just the market locked in, this is from the Fed governors themselves saying that that's what they expect. So we've obviously seen some positive movement in gold and silver since then. And with that said, I'll let you take it from there. Any thoughts you'd like to share? I know how much you love the Federal Reserve. I'm surprised yeah. you don't have your Jerome Powell portrait behind you today um you're able to break well, away for a little bit but i'll stop and let you take it from there that's a portrait we'll never have and i think you know jerome powell's uh uh attempted imitation of paul volcker has fallen considerably short i mean I, to me this is not a signal that the fed has beaten inflation to me it's more along the signs more along the lines of that they've given up on fighting inflation and it's interesting that they make the announcement to start cutting before they get to their target of 2%. I mean, by their own numbers, we're at 4%. But if you take a look at John Williams' shadow stats, even looking, he, he'll he show you what the way the numbers were in 1980 and then again in 1990. And, and in 1980, it was a much more accurate reflection. The CPI was. 1990, they started making some changes. But even using the 1990 model, there, the the measurement of inflation right now is eight percent, not the four percent that we're being told. So they're giving up on inflation with, you know, uh, fighting it anyway by raising rates. With it right now at four percent by the CPI numbers, and and double that amount if you go back and use the numbers that were a much more accurate reflection of of the way it it, it once was. And you know, look, I think the Fed is trapped. To be honest with you, I think they realize that 
If they raise rates, they break the system. But the funny thing is, is that if they don't, they signal an end on us on austerity. They they they're telling the world that they will, you know, they will choose inflation over the tough decisions forever. They'll never balance their or 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 normalize their balance sheet. And you know, I think what this really shows is the dangers of a highly leveraged economy where asset valuations have lost all price discovery. And you know, it's no coincidence that this is an election year. And I think it's it's quite obvious that 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 Powell was bullied, I guess you could say, by 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 the White House and and maybe even by Wall Street into uh, giving up on on um, trying to in any shape or form normalize things. And look, you you still have inflation, which is much higher right now than normal standards. And I think what this will really do is reignite inflation and will make things much worse in the end. Um, it's a game where I think maybe the realization that the market is more powerful than the central banks, because I think if 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 this signals to the rest of the world that, you know, why would we we trade our goods uh, for a dollar that ultimately will will follow the path that all other currencies have followed forever? And that is uh, inflation over the tough decisions. And not to mention, we have a government that is addicted to spending and, um, you know, like just like uh, the, the laws of inertia, a a, a a government in decline will remain in decline until they start to make some responsible decisions. This is not a responsible decision, nor is the ridiculous amount of spending. Um, you know, the, the Congressional Budget Office, Chris, said that in seven years, by 2031, 100 percent of all the tax revenue, this is the government's own admission, will go to pay just the interest on the debt and all the mandatory entitlement spendings like Social Security, which is already nearly 70 trillion in the hole. So think about this. How is it that a country would even think of remaining the world's dominant superpower economically and militarily when in seven years we will have to borrow money for every discretionary thing, including funding the military. This becomes a situation that is unattainable. This becomes a situation that that doesn't end well. And it's as if our policymakers ignore the laws and the rules of history and just hope that they can kick the can so far down the road that, you know, it allows them to continue to stay in power a little longer. But it's very disappointing and I don't know, shame on Jer Jerome for saying that Volcker was his hero because uh, Volcker would uh, would certainly not look at him as being anything other than a sellout. Well, how do you really feel about it? Uh, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. And although I did have an interesting conversation with someone, a uh, fund manager today, and he had an interesting point. He was saying, I wonder what the Fed, if the Fed is is seeing something that the rest of us are not able to see yet. We have had an increase in the bank term funding facility program. Yeah. So interesting to imagine what could be going on behind the scenes. And actually another thing that I thought about was that I wonder if we do get rate cuts, obviously we've had banking issues earlier this year. I don't think they've gone away, although could the rate cuts be one way of mitigating further issues in the banking system? I don't think the rate cuts are, are substantive enough. They're not substantial enough. Dropping a quarter point here or a half point there, it's not going to do it. 
And, you know, the we, we've seen so much money leave the banks going directly into the money market accounts, chasing yield. I mean, the banks, even with rates where they've been, they haven't passed those rates on to the savers. I mean, you look at the what you get in a savings account, it's still under 1%. Yes, you can go to a, a, a CD, lock your money up for a year and get four, four and a half percent, or go to a money market with overnight liquidity um, and get over 5%. So the banks are really, I believe, in trouble here. And when you talk about lowering rates the way that the Fed does, it's in a very uh, methodical fashion. They're not going to drop rates by 200, 300 basis points. They'll drop them by 25 or 50. And and I don't think that that really is going to matter much. They they are always late to to the you know to the party. And 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 I don't even think that the full effect of the rate hikes have worked their way through the plumbing system yet. Um, and you know I. I you talk about, do they see something that we don't? Yeah, I mean, maybe they see that there's big trouble ahead uh, for the banking system, and they're trying to do what they can to mitigate it. But in the in the in the method that they will choose, it's certainly too little, too late, as far as I'm concerned. Now, you want to fix the problem with the banking system, go back to zero federal funds rate, and you know, uh, fine. But you know, what does that say to to the rest of the world about? the dollar being the reserve currency. And why would anybody want to trust us with selling us their goods? People say, well, you know, the dollar's still the best of the best. Well, is it when we're running those kinds of deficits, when we're dropping interest rates to, to pay homage to the fact that we can't never normalize our balance sheet, that we will continue to inflate as our chosen methodology and, and keep interest rates at zero and create all of these distortions and these anomalies in asset prices, that's the problem to begin with. All of the problems that we see in this economy, to me, center around interest rate manipulation. And that then has a byproduct of gold and silver suppression because they are the canaries in the mineshaft. But it's been the suppression of interest rates, which has created perceptions and illusions of, of prosperity and, and incredible distortions within asset prices. So it's one of these deals where I think they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. They've got themselves trapped and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But if I had to guess uh, what the Fed intends to do is far too little too late. Look, they're talking about lowering rates, but continuing to QT. You know, they're, they're going to continue to sell off their balance sheet as they ease rates a little bit. I mean, it's it's almost as if it's doublespeak. I don't think... Um, short of really dropping rates substantively, that whatever they're going to do is going to matter much uh, whatsoever to the banking system. Well, you could well be right on that. And um curious how people have responded. And from a customer standpoint, I'm imagining you saw some gold and silver purchasing following that announcement. But what have you seen in terms of the public's reaction, and especially in the gold and silver community since then? You know, it's almost unfair this time of the year to make that type of a uh, of a appraisal in that, you know, if people are anything like me right now, I'm probably like you, you're ready to check out and, you know, enjoy what little time of the holidays is left and, and, and Christmas and New Year's. And, you know, I think people are a little bit distracted right now, traveling or with family or making preparations. Uh, I think... People are suffering from information fatigue, from 
there's so much going on and it's happening so fast. It's changing in every every facet of our life, uh, spiritually, morally, politically, geopolitically, economically. There's all, there's something every day to rile you up or make you shake your head and, and just say, geez, more of this crap. So, And we yes, have the election coming up next year, so don't right. get too excited and, just yet. Yeah, and it's only going to get worse. And when you see these types of decisions, which appear to be politically motivated, uh, and it's sad to think that that the Federal Reserve would be politically motivated, but it's hard to believe it's not by looking at these decisions. And, you know, it's like, um, I, I think that it, much like it takes time for the interest rates or the, the Fed policy decisions to work their way through the system, I think it's this information has to work its way through the system. But to the public, the public is 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 blissfully believing perhaps that a, a soft landing is upon us. And and I think hope springs eternal, but it will take an event, an event that, geez, you know, um, maybe, maybe this isn't the case for people to wake up and start looking at gold and silver for what they really are. And it's interesting though, we we have had a lot of a lot of money management money, a lot of family office money, a lot of what I would call sophisticated money come to us as of late. And uh, and and I don't know if the word is capitulate into moving into precious metals at the behest of their clientele, but um it's an interesting, it's an interesting deal where more so than than we're used to seeing. Uh, we're seeing managed money come into the space, and and that doesn't surprise me. They're typically a step or two ahead of the public as well. And look, you haven't seen central bank buying slow down. If anything, you've seen it increase. And they're the most well-funded and well-informed players on the on the planet. They know the playbook. They're ahead of the public. And I think it's one of these deals where you can't trust your lying eyes. You got to trust your gut and do what the big money is doing, not what the supposed uh, talking heads um, are, are saying. Yeah, plus when you think about it, if the central banks were setting records for gold buying while interest rates were getting hiked up, wonder <laughs> wonder what they could be thinking now as they get closer to seeing the cut in interest rates and I suppose in a few months and we'll find out next year. So, Yeah, remember, I mean, they're, they're doing that in the face in real interest rates and gold supposedly move in inverse direction of one another. And that's the issue here is that even with the nominal rates where they are factored against even the lying metrics metrics of inflation, the real return is negative. When you put it against um, the CPI the way it used to be calculated, the real return is as much as 4% per year compounding negative. So, you know, yes, interest rates would have to go much higher, but I would also say that you know, for the very first time, look, for in the first time in 45 years, gold is less volatile than the 10-year treasury. And and from a historical point of view, government debt it has a very shallow history of being an asset. I think there's a good portion of the world that looks at the big picture, like China, like Japan, like Saudi Arabia, these countries who have not been rolling over their debt and, in fact, have been selling it and it appeared, by all appearances, in favor of commodities, real real things that you can hold rather than debt instruments like gold, which is a tier one, like silver. We've seen, you know, India import more silver. Again, I think they did 20 uh, million ounces in November after 60 million ounces in October and 304 million last year. And so the big money is 
using the suppression is using the rhetoric as a, as as a cover to shed treasuries which i think is something that carries risk that no one really ever thought about before and moving into something that carries no counterparty risk that you hold in your own possession and that to me is really one of the big benefits that the public will realize maybe after in large part it's too late that gold and silver are assets if physically held that carry no counterparty risk they're not simultaneously someone else's liability and in a world that is so systemically connected and systemically sick um i think there's a lot to be said for removing completely and totally counterparty risk i guess i'd say it i'd sum it up by saying you have a better chance of being ripped off by the system than you do by a would-be burglar digging through your home looking for gold and silver and, and i mean that to be true 100 percent. well i hear you and something we've talked about before but i like to revisit from time to time for people who are seeing some of the things that are happening with the debt loads and the interest rates and various policies out of the fed that are new to gold and silver in terms of which products are good for that purpose of protecting against currency risk, debt risk, what are the products that people want to be looking towards, products that people would want to be staying away from, and any guidelines there in terms of if someone's on board with gold and silver, what do they actually get? So my the easy answer is that you have six primary mints out there. The U.S., Canada, Austria, Australia, South Africa, and the United Kingdom. And, and any of the coins that they put out, so you got the Krugerrand from South Africa, the Kangaroo from Australia, the Britannia from the U.K., the Philharmonic from Austria, the um, um, uh, Maple Leaf from Canada, and the Eagle from the United States. Th those are Pepsi, Coke, Sprite, Dr. Pepper, you know, 7-Up. Those are well-known and, and, and well-respected world over and i think that when you're building a, a a war chest or a portfolio of physical silver and gold i mean to me you buy stuff from one of those six mints and preferably in my mind the u.s mint or the canadian mint because being penny wise and pound foolish in this industry i think is a detriment to your liquidity now, you can have the greatest thing in the world if it lacks liquidity what good is it we are witnessing a good portion of the states in this country pivot and saying that gold and silver coins issued by one of those sovereign mints is currency to be used for all debts, public and private, including paying your property taxes. So you have state governments willing to take your metal for property tax payments. What does that say? And it, it's, 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 to me, a, a glimmer of the American spirit. It's pushing back against the brain-dead policies of the Fed, the monetary and fiscal policy of the Fed and the government are, are, in many respects, have destroyed a good portion of what this country stands for or has always stood for. And I think if you're going to own precious metals, do not be penny-wise and pound-foolish. Do not buy 1,000-ounce bars in favor of 1,001-ounce rounds. And if you can get, you know, just to save a little bit of money, but if you have the ability to stomach paying a little bit of a higher premium, which doesn't go into my pocket, it's how much it costs to buy these items from the mints and the distributors, buy the American Eagles, buy the Canadian Maple Leafs, you're buying quality. And after all, if a good portion of the reason you own this stuff is because when the chips are down and you don't want to have to, to 
haggle with someone or convince someone or barter with someone in a way that first you have to you have to um, somehow convince them that what you have is is sought after and real. It doesn't do you any good. You want something that bang has immediate liquidity and demand, and I think it's worth it. So you pay a little premium on the front end, you get that premium on the back end. And, you know, let's remember that if you would have bought Silver Eagles in 2019, you would have paid, you know, three and a half dollars or so over the price of silver to buy them, not much higher than they are now. And at the same time, if you tried to sell them back six months later after the pandemic hit, you would have received $15, $16 over the price of silver. So that's indicative of a tremendous amount of demand for things that are sought after. And in, in times of turmoil or crises or whatever, a need for liquidity, you want that without having to waste your breath trying to have to convince them, no, no, this is really cool and this is what you want. No, you want something that is immediately liquid, free from subjectivity, sight unseen anywhere. So for me, it's one of those six mints and preferably the United States mint or the Canadian mint would be, I think, the offer the greatest liquidity in good times and in bad. So are there situations where it would be worthwhile to get something like a Buffalo round or something that's not coming from one of those sovereign mints? Is there a certain price level at which it becomes worthwhile? Again, I get what you're saying about the recognizability in terms of bartering, although to the degree that people go to a dealer and to sell back the metals, that's another option. So are there situations where non-sovereign mint products are worthwhile? I mean, they are worthwhile. I mean, it, they are because in the end, it's Richard Russell always said the number of ounces that matter. But at least in the respect of the, the states that and the, the legislation, none of it says silver rounds. It all says legal tender silver coins made by a sovereign mint. From that perspective, it, it would be better to pay a little higher premium to buy the the government issued coins. But look, I mean, you know, silver is silver, right? And I, I think it's better than not having any. And and they are less money, and they are a more cost effective way of accumulating it. And but I guess if we're going to use silver rounds as the example, I would simply say I think you're better off owning. Five silver rounds over a five ounce bar or 10 over a 10 ounce bar or 32 over a kilo or 100 over a 100 ounce bar or a thousand one ounce rounds over a thousand ounce bar. You can never have too much liquidity. You can never be too flexible. You can never have too many options or exits or outs. And I think that's at least what you get with the silver rounds. And look, people in this industry, uh, for whatever reason, kind of come in with the penny wise pound foolish mentality and i guess that's from all the years of shopping at the big box store and 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 the internet has done that to us where everything is about price and price is important right it is but i think price can also lead you down the wrong path because i mean if if you're on trial or you're go for your life or going to a heart surgeon for your life you're not looking at who's the least expensive you're looking at who's the best or what's the best plan and to me, what is the best plan? And to me, the best plan is thinking of your liquidity when you're buying it, thinking down the road, what will provide me what I really want? And that is liquidity without any subjectivity um, and out without any issues down the road. So I'm not casting a, a bad light upon the rounds. I just, this is an event. This is 
the states accepting legal tender coins is something I never thought would happen. And so even the best laid plans need to be reevaluated. And I've always said, silver rounds are fantastic. Biggest bang for the buck, highly sought after. And I'd still be okay owning them. But if I had my druthers, I would reach for a government issued coin because of these laws. And, and uh, you know, who knows what tomorrow may bring. But if all I have is the ability to buy silver rounds, because they're much more cost effective and, and much more being a dollar or two an ounce, yeah, I'm okay with that. But um, completely being candid, if I had my choice, I'd buy the, the uh, coins issued by one of those six sovereign government mints. Well, that makes sense and uh, hopefully helpful for people as, especially new people as they're wondering, because that's a question that I also got earlier today. So appreciate the thoughts there and the preference towards the sovereigns. And yeah. just in wrapping up for people who are looking to add to their stack, Anything on special this week that we should know about? Yeah, so we have constitutional 90% silver, often called junk silver, dimes and quarters, minted prior to 1965. That's $3 an ounce over the price of silver. Uh, we have the one-tenth ounce gold maple leaves, um, which are $30 over the price of gold and following silver. Again, 2023 and backdate silver eagles at $4.99 over the price of silver. And I'm large orders, we can even go down a bit from there. So again, you know, the Silver Eagles have been the highest price item. And so has the pre-65 silver in the silver universe for the past four years. And so as we get close to the end of the year here, it's, it's, these are really good prices and, and certainly in comparison or relation to where they've been for the past almost 40 plus months, um, best opportunity to get into Eagles or pre-65 silver I've seen since 2019. Well, people can find out more about that by emailing Arcadia at Miles Franklin if you'd like to pick some of those up in time for the holidays. So, Andy, appreciate this as always. Thanks for making some time. I know you're going to see your dad tonight, so happy for you about that. And Thank you, you guys have a good time. I know we have a lot of David Sheckman fans in our audience, and uh, we'll have to get him on the show one of these days as well. And in either case, tell him I and the Arcadia audience say hello and you guys have fun tonight and we will catch up with you next week. I love you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I look forward to that. And hopefully I'll see you here this week, go for another walk and talk about life. Those are always some of my favorite times. So to you and everyone else out there, you all have a good evening. All right. Thanks, Andy.